And tonight we're thinking about what wisdom we live by. And by wisdom, I don't mean wise sayings. When James uses the word wisdom, he's meaning more than that. He means what directs your heart and what drives your actions, what principles and priorities are guiding you. And James separates wisdom into two types. You can be either guided by God's wisdom or the wisdom of the world uh, that rejects God. And um, James explains three things that we'll hear tonight. Uh, Firstly, how to identify the wisdom we live by. Secondly, why it is necessary to reject the world's wisdom. And third, how can we reject the world's wisdom? Uh, So let's start with the first one tonight. How can I identify the wisdom I live by? Uh, James tells us we can know what wisdom we're living by. Uh, The way that we do that is by looking at our hearts and looking at our actions. Uh, James tells us we know what wisdom we can look, live by, and that's by looking at our hearts and um, actions. Have a check at these um, passages uh, that we just read out before. Who's wise and has understanding among you? He should show his works by good conduct with wisdom's gentleness. And skipping down to verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliance, full of good mercy, uh, full of mercy and good fruits, without favoritism and hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. Uh, Now, this passage fits in right after James has talked about the tongue and how people use the tongue. And um, I think this passage is best understood as directed at those, uh, initially at least, uh, those who presume to be teachers of God's people. So those who want to lead and teach God's people. um, I think that this passage is primarily directed at them, but also at all of God's people um, to hear this as well. Um, And I think it has a lot to say to us tonight. Uh, Who is wise and has understanding among you, James says? Who has God's wisdom? What does it look like for someone to have God's wisdom? He should show his works by good conduct with wisdom's gentleness. It's in your heart and it comes out into your action. Uh, James is saying being ruled or accepting God's wisdom means doing good conduct, good works. But it's more than that. It's also in the way that you do those good works. It's what sits behind the good works, what's motivating and driving them. James says someone with God's wisdom will do good conduct with wisdom's gentleness. It's how you do it that matters. Uh, For example, you could be an amazing doctor, right? We love amazing doctors that are able to fix our bodies or put them back together or whatever. But we don't like surgeons that are rude or people that are cruel and talk about their patients in a nasty way. Uh, We don't like doctors that are just in it for the money, right? We know the best doctors have kind hearts, speak to their patient kindly, and seek their good, right? Uh, How you do it matters. And this is the same for a church context. Uh, We could, as an example, you could serve somebody by providing them for a meal when they go through a difficult time, right? You could do that with a joyful heart, thinking about the other person, motivated by their love or need. Uh, But you could also do it begrudgingly, thinking about, oh, it's such a hassle that I have to prepare a meal for somebody else. Uh, you could have uh, think about um, they didn't like the food or it's got to be better than everybody else's and it's sort of a competition to be the best provider of food. Uh, if you were to do that begrudgingly, that wouldn't be fitting with God's wisdom. Uh, perhaps another example is if you pray for someone. You know somebody's going through a hard time and instead of praying for them gently, lovingly, You say something like, dear God, I pray for this person who did this really bad thing and has stuffed up their life, right? You don't pray like that because we do it with wisdom's gentleness. God's wisdom is about serving people. Uh, Check out the rest of the passage there. It's pure, 
which means that it's holy, it's without sinful intentions, it's peace-loving, it's gentle, it's compliant. You need more than one person to be peaceful, gentle, and compliant. The picture is of God's people loving and serving each other, uh, to serve Him and to serve each other. Uh, We'll fill out this picture a bit more in a moment. Let's have a look at the wisdom of the world, which is actually wedged in between these verses. Uh, Verse 14, it says, But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't brag and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where envy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every kind of evil. Uh, So just like God's wisdom can be seen in the heart and in action, the world's wisdom can be seen in the heart and come out into our actions as well. And James says what you can look for is bitter envy and selfish ambition. Now, James is not talking about kind of like a fleeting temptation to envy, like you might think, oh, I really wish I had that, and then it goes away straight away. This is, this is like an intense, angry envy. I want what someone else has, and I'm bitter about it. I'm angry about it. Uh, what is selfish ambition? Uh, ambition itself is not wrong. In fact, Jesus tells the, um, uh, he tells the disciples to pursue greatness, but he says, The one who is the greatest among you must be the servant of all. Uh, Ambition itself is not wrong, but selfish ambition is about self-promotion. It's about working so you'll be noticed and recognized. It's about finding your own satisfaction and desires being met. Uh, Now, James says that these qualities do not come from God's wisdom. It actually comes from the wisdom of the world and from demons. See what he says, such wisdom? The wisdom of bitter envy and selfish ambition does not come from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. It doesn't come from God. It's earthly. In James' James' worldview, when he says earthly or worldly, he he means the corrupted world that rejects God and doesn't want anything to do with God. Uh, This wisdom is unspiritual. And by this, James means it's not of the Holy Spirit. It's something else. James's readers would have prided themselves as being spiritual, meaning godly. Uh, And this wisdom is also demonic which means it's the same mindset of demons. Um, Selfish ambition and bitter envy is the sort of attitude that demons live by. They promote it, they encourage people in it, and they want people to be ruled by it. Uh, James also tells us that envy and selfish ambition in our hearts leads to action. He says, For where envy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every kind of evil. Do you see the picture that James is painting here? The heart that follows God... What does it look like? It's pure, it's full of peace, it shows itself in good works and gentleness, but the heart that follows the wisdom of the world is ruled by bitter envy and selfish ambition. It leads to every kind of evil. Uh, How might this second wisdom show itself? Uh, Worldly wisdom. An example might be um, desiring to teach others, but you get jealous of other teachers. You want to be seen to be better than others. Another example might be you're serving publicly at church, but it's not about serving others, it's all about you being recognized and you showing off your gifts and abilities and seeking praise from others for how good you do things. James says good conduct with wisdom's gentleness is the wisdom that comes from God, wisdom that loves and serves others, that is focused on serving God and others. Uh, Now, you might notice that um, I've given, even though I've given some examples tonight, James doesn't actually give any examples. He doesn't say bitter envy, selfish ambition look like this. He doesn't say good works look exactly like this. 
Uh, and the reason is that he wants you to examine yourself. He wants you to have a look inside in your heart and think about your actions and think, how do I live my life? What does my heart focus on? Is there pure and good wisdom from God there that shows in good works? Or is there selfish ambition? Is there bitter envy? Do these seep out into your life and your actions? Uh, James, James warns us about self-deception in this area. He says, don't brag. Don't be proud and pretend. Don't deny the truth. Don't put on a facade. It's important that we don't deceive ourselves in this area uh, because we'll come to see in the next section that the wisdom of the world leads to conflict. Why is it necessary to reject the world's wisdom? Uh, in chapter 4, verses 1 to 5, James says it's necessary to reject the world's wisdom for three reasons. The world's wisdom leads to conflict between people. It leads to conflict within. And it leads to conflict with God. Uh, so James links, uh, directly links wars and fights among God's people to their hearts, to that selfish ambition and bitter envy. He says, what is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from the cravings that are at war within you? You desire and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. This is the sad, hard effects of bitter envy and selfish ambition. They cause fights and wars because when everybody is thinking, I need to be the best, what about me? And getting jealous of each other, it creates war. Now, words like war and fight and murder are probably representations of a community that's um, in, a, in a personal social conflict. I don't think the church is actually engaging in bloodshed. But, but the words used here do show us the damage that can be done to others, don't, don't they? Because of what's in somebody's heart, because of what comes out in people's actions. Some people can be seriously hurt by conflict in churches. Uh, I've, I'm, I've known, and I'm sure that you know, people who have left churches or even the Christian faith over conflict within churches. And if this is something that you are presently affected by, I'm really sorry about that. This is not the way that God teaches us to be like. And I would ask you, if you are affected right now by conflict, uh, to chat and pray with someone after our gathering tonight. Uh, fights and wars among God's people are not what God intends. These sort of actions aren't pleasing to God. They don't show his character. They don't show God's wisdom. So the wisdom of the world, it leads to conflict within people. It also leads to conflict within. James says, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives, so you may spend it on your evil desires. James paints this picture of inner conflict and frustration. The individual who's led by the world's wisdom has all of these selfish desires. They're bitter. They're selfish. They're not content, and they're seeking after all these things that they think will fix their life up and make it amazing. But they don't ask for them. And so God doesn't give it to them. And then when they do ask, God in his kindness doesn't give it to them because they're driven by wrong motives. It creates this inner conflict and frustration where they're not satisfied. They feel they need more. They won't ask. And when they do ask, it's for wrong motives. So God says no. And they're just uh, living a life of frustration and turmoil. So those who live by the wisdom of the world won't be satisfied. Uh, and thirdly, the wisdom of the world leads to conflict with God. Probably most importantly, uh, adulteresses, James says, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? 
Uh, now, to call them adulteresses is a very firm word. It's a very firm word. And James uses this word because God's people are described as God's bride. We're in a relationship with God. And leaving, leaving God to listen to the world and live by the world's values, by bitter envy and selfish ambition, James says that's like making, breaking marriage vows. It's that serious to God. The seriousness is that living this way is like living like God's enemy. James says, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be the world's friend becomes God's enemy. It's all a part of the one package. Uh, now, as we approach our, our last point today, you might have noticed that James doesn't condemn those who are living by the wisdom of the world. He doesn't say, you're out of the faith. Uh, he doesn't say, you clearly haven't believed in Jesus yet. Now, here's the truth of the gospel and trust in Jesus. He actually identifies them as believers. They have the Holy Spirit. James says, the spirit who lives in us yearns jealously, which likely means the Holy Spirit yearns for us to live God's way. Uh, those that James is addressing here, they are true believers who have stopped responding to God appropriately. You could say that they're going astray from God in this pretty big area. But they are God's people. They are loved by God. These are people of God, and James calls them to reject the world's wisdom and come back to living by God's wisdom. So we've heard, we've heard tonight so far that the wisdom of the world can be seen in our, in our hearts and in our actions. We've heard that it can lead to all kinds of conflict. How might we reject the world's wisdom? How can I reject the world's wisdom? Uh, James 4, verse 6 says, But he gives us greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then in verse 10, um, at the bottom of our section tonight, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. James tells us the way to reject the world's wisdom is humility. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So James calls his readers to humility before God. And that's the chief idea, humility. Humility means to stop considering yourself as the leader. Letting go of pride and selfishness and recognize God's rightful place as Lord over our lives. Humility is about handing the steering wheel to God, letting God drive, letting him direct our hearts and actions. James gives a long list of imperatives, commanding words here in this next section um, to describe what hum humility will look like. Uh, and we're going to uh, unpack a few of them briefly. He says, therefore, submit to God, but resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, double-minded. Uh, submitting to God means living under God's authority, getting rid of pride. Uh, forget about thinking, I know what's best. Start doing what is pleasing to God, even if it might feel hard or difficult. Uh, resist the devil is pretty easy to explain. Uh, when you're tempted to sin, and when you're tempted to follow the wisdom of the world, you resist it. And James says that Satan will flee from you. Uh, Satan is not all-powerful. He's not all-knowing. And he can't be everywhere. So when believers resist him and say, oh, Satan, I don't feel like following you anymore and listening to you anymore. Um, Satan will try for a little while and then he'll eventually give up and go away. Because he thinks, I'm not getting through, I'm just going to go elsewhere. Uh, cleanse your hands is the idea of making your actions pure and innocent. Hands being the work of your hands. 
Uh, cleanse your hands, make your actions pure and innocent, and purify your hearts is to make them holy. Make them focused on the things of God. How do you do that? You search your heart. You think about it. You evaluate it. Is my heart meditating on the things of the Lord? Uh, you can read scripture to your heart. You can train your heart to love and honor God. Rather than being led by our hearts, scriptures, uh, many scriptures tell us to teach our hearts to follow God. James says, Be miserable, mourn, and weep. Your laughter must change to mourning and your, sorrow, your joy to sorrow. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Uh, now, this last section is a section I'd like to spend a little time on uh, talking on before we finish, because this is a section that I think our, our modern ears might reject out of hand. Uh, we might think, surely God doesn't want us to be miserable. That's not a very desirable, healthy characteristic for us, we would say. Why would God want me to mourn and weep? Doesn't he care about my mental health? Uh, yes, absolutely, God does care about our mental health. Um, let's dig a little deeper and look a bit closer at this. What's happening here? James is calling people back to God who have been living proud lives and rejecting God in their hearts and also in their actions. And their actions against God are serious enough for James to call them adulteresses, right? Breaking marriage vows, double-minded people, which means you're living with two masters. God is the master and the world is the masters, and he calls them sinners. Uh, now, so these are people who have been given a new identity in Christ. The old is gone, all is forgiven, but they've been living like their old self, living like God's enemy. And James is calling them here to realize the seriousness of their sin, uh, the seriousness of their actions, and is calling them to be sorrowful about how they've treated God. Uh, there's, um, there's a few different ways that our daughters say sorry at the moment. And um, I wonder whether you've seen any of these in your own family or yourself from time to time. Um, there's the angry sorry, and it goes something like this. Sorry. And the frown continues for a couple of minutes or so. Um, and I find that the extra E on the end of sorry seems to be important. It goes like this. Sorry. Uh, the angry sorry is said with a hard frown. The angry sorry says... I don't want to say sorry, and you're making me do something that I don't want to do, and so I'm angry about it. Uh, there is the cheerful sorry, which is said like this. Sorry. Said with a smile, and the, the smile continues for several minutes. Uh, it's the, the cheerful sorry says, I'm happy to say sorry, but it doesn't really think that it did anything wrong, right? It's time to move on. Who cares, right? All is good. Sorry. Um, <clears throat> there's, the, there's the full of guilt sorry, and I'm conflicted about whether this is a good sorry or not, but it goes something like this, eyes down to the left, not looking at people's faces, sorry, and it's like a mumbled sorry, that's what I'm calling it, the, the full of guilt sorry, it's mumbled, with eyes down, you don't look at the person, and I think that this might be about avoiding the full impact of what they've done. So they realize they've done something wrong. They've realized relationship has been broken in some way. And they don't want to feel the full guilt. They don't want to look, look you in the eye. Um, and it feels, feels uncomfortable for them. Um, it's hard being a child, isn't it? Learning to say sorry is tough. How should we say sorry to God for living like his enemy? 
James calls us to a humble sorry. A sorry that knows what it's done, a sorry that really apologizes and turns back to do what is right. That's what James is calling for. He doesn't think it's right for us to give an angry sorry or a cheerful sorry back to God. And sometimes we can brush sin off, can't we? We can say, it's all good, Jesus paid for my sin, sorry. Sometimes sitting in sorrow and misery is a good thing. Now, we need to be careful here. Some people can overwhelm themselves with guilt and misery and beat themselves up. That's not what James is calling for. This is not a God doesn't love me, I'm a terrible person sort of sorry. This is a I know what I've done and I need to change sorry. It's it's a repentant sorry. It's an I'm truly sorry kind of sorry. And do you notice as well that James doesn't expect believers to sit in this sort of misery or sorrow forever? James says that last line there, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. He will exalt you. He will say, it's okay. All is forgiven. Now, I wonder what you're thinking and feeling after all of this tonight. I wonder when was the last time you searched your heart? And thought about uh, what's in there, how you served God and how you loved others. Sometimes we can be driven by the, uh, so much by the importance of getting things done. We think, I just have to do things for God. But do we forget about how to do it? Or the reason we do things? Or the way we do things? Sometimes bitter envy and selfish ambition can creep into our hearts without us even realizing it's there. If you've been following the wisdom of the world, James says to humble yourself before God, turn and obey him anew, submit to him, spend some time in sorrow and God will exalt you. Humble yourself before the Lord and God will raise you up. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your deep, deep and wonderful love for us. We thank you for sending a saviour, Jesus, who has paid for our sin who has died so that we don't need to die. Uh, We thank you for the promise of a new relationship with you, and we thank you that those who trust in Jesus can know that they are forgiven and have eternal life. We ask, Heavenly Father, that you would help us to examine our hearts and actions, that we would reject the world's wisdom, and that we would live with you as our King. Amen.